So and I did, and I neglected to mention that. Um, so my um, my uh, stepmother's mother, her name is Judy, Judy Roundy. Uh, she's in a, a nursing home in northern Utah. Um, born and raised, lifelong Mormon, um, just like Heather came out of the Mormon church. She was raised in, in the Mormon church, and uh, and so. But recently, she had a she had a very serious health scare, and so. Um, and uh, they were talking about maybe putting her on hospice, not sure. And so, um, and so Heather said, well, are you ready to talk about Jesus for real now? Because she's tried to talk to her before and it doesn't work. And she said no. And, but then she asked her this time and she said yes. And so, and so the, she shared the gospel with her. And then um, and she said, do you, do you understand? And she, do you want to trust in Christ? And she said yes. And so. Uh, and so my dad got on the phone and prayed with her, and so she prayed to receive Christ just a little over a week ago. And and so um, so they've been calling her regularly, praying with her, um, reading, trying to read the Bible to her. She can't really see very well, and she's real. Um, um, she uh, she's starting to fall down, so it's uh, so it's concerning uh, for her health. And so, um, but be in prayer for Judy, uh, we believe as a new Christian, and so and just a, and just as we were talking about this morning. Uh, that heaven rejoices when one sinner repents, <laughs> and so uh, and so we uh, rejoice. Uh, we rejoice with uh, um, my dad and my stepmom, and this is a huge, huge deal. And so we just pray that uh, be praying for Judy and for the family, and and even in these last years that Judy would be a testimony to Heather's other siblings, who are uh, devout and less devout Mormons depending on which one you talk to, but they're all generally Mormons and connected to the Mormon church. So be in prayer for uh, that as well. So just wanted to make sure I kept forgetting to tell you all about that. And so didn't want to continue to forget. But, well, tonight we are jumping back into the book of Judges. And we're going to be in Judges chapter 5, uh, verses 1 through 31, which is the entire chapter. And the entire chapter is a song about uh, what occurred uh, uh, in chapter 4. And so we're going we're gonna to review the events of chapter 4. We're going to go back through that because uh, it's been a little while since we've been in the book of Judges. Uh, but we're going to go ahead and read through chapter 5. We're going to read the entire chapter. And we'll bring the text up on the screen. And uh, the reading from the English Standard Version. And hear the word of the Lord. Then sang Deborah and Barak, the son of Abinoam, on that day, that the leaders took the lead in Israel that the people offered themselves willingly, bless the Lord. Hear, O kings, give ear, O princes, to the Lord I will sing. I will make melody to the Lord, the God of Israel. Lord, when you went out from Seir, when you marched from the region of Edom, the earth trembled and the heavens dropped. Yes, the clouds dropped water. The mountains quaked before the Lord, even Sinai before the Lord, the God of Israel. In the days of Shamgar, son of Anath, in the days of Jael, the highways were abandoned and travelers kept to the byways. The villagers ceased in Israel. They ceased to be until I arose. I, Deborah, arose as a mother in Israel. When new gods were chosen, then war was in the gates. Was shield or spear to be seen among 40,000 in Israel? My heart goes out to the commanders of Israel who offer themselves willingly among the people. Bless the Lord. 
tell of it, you who ride on white donkeys, you who sit on rich carpets, you who walk by the way. To the sound of musicians at watering places, there they repeat the righteous triumphs of the Lord, the righteous triumphs of his villagers in Israel. Then down to the gates march the people of the Lord. Awake, awake, Deborah, awake, awake, break out in song. Arise, Barak, lead away your captives, O son of Abinoam. Then down marched the remnant of the noble. The people of the Lord marched down for me against the mighty. From Ephraim, their root, they marched down into the valley, following you, Benjamin, with your kinsmen. From Machir, uh, march down the, com the commanders. And from Zebulun, those who bear the lieutenant's staff. The princes of Issachar came with Deborah, and Issachar faithful to, Bar to Barak. Into the valley they rushed as, at his heels. Among the clans of Reuben there was great searching of the heart. Why did you sit still among the sheepfolds to hear the whistling for the flocks? Among the clans of Reuben there was great searchings of the heart. Uh, Gilead stayed behind the Jordan. And Dan, why did he stay with the ships? Asher sat still at the coast of the sea, staying by his landings. Zebulun is a people who risked their lives to the, to the death. Naphtali, too, on the heights of the field. The kings came. They fought, then fought the kings of Canaan at Tanakh uh, by the waters of Megiddo. They got no spoils of silver. From heaven the stars fought. and From their council, from their courses, they fought against Sisera. The torrent uh, Kishon swept them away. The ancient torrent, the torrent Kishon, march on my soul with might. Then loud beat the horse's hoofs with the galloping, galloping of his steeds. Curse Miraz, says the angel of the Lord. Curse its inhabitants thoroughly because they did not come to the help of the Lord, to the help of the Lord against the mighty. Most blessed of women uh, be Jael, the wife of Heber the Kenite, of tent-dwelling women most blessed. He asked uh, water, and she gave him milk. She brought him curds in a noble's bowl. She sent her hand to the tent peg and her right hand to the workman's mallet. She struck Sisera, and she crushed his head. She shattered and pierced his temple. Between her, her feet he sank, he fell, he lay still. Between her feet he sank, he fell. Where he sank, there he fell dead. Out of the window she peered, the mother of Sisera, wailed through the lattice. Why is his chariot so long in coming? Why tarry the hoofbeats of his chariots? Her wisest princesses answer. Indeed, she answers herself. Have they not found and divided the spoil, a womb or two for every man, spoil of dyed materials for Sisera, spoil of dyed materials embroidered, two pieces of dyed work embroidered for the neck as spoil? So may all your enemies perish, O Lord, but your friends be like the sun as he rises in his might, and the land had rest for 40 years. Thus ends the reading of God's holy word. So first of all, one reason we should never think the Bible is boring is how many songs do you hear on K-Love about somebody stabbing a dude in the head with a tent, tent peg? All right, all right. That's that's not uh, that's not on there. All right. So, um, 
But also the question is, why is that a song? Well, that is a song of praise unto the Lord. And we have so many different forms of entertainment uh, today and, and ways to socialize. But, but actually, one of the activities that we have lost uh, as a culture largely is singing. Like singing for fun, singing in the midst of a group. In years past, people would sing not merely at church or at a concert uh, uh, alone. Um, uh, men and women would sing songs in gatherings as a form of entertainment together. Uh, they, they would, because songs are powerful things. Songs tell stories. They convey emotions. Song resonates with our souls and even the souls of people who say they can't sing in public. From the earliest days, the people of God sang. When Israel was delivered at the, at the Red Sea, you know, what did Moses do next? Well, in Exodus chapter 15, he wrote a song. And he sang it about all the things that God had just done for his people. Songs are used in the Bible to lament sorrow and loss, to cry out for restoration uh, to, to God. Songs are used to remember uh, the, the people of God's history and the wonders of God, to strengthen the people of God for life's challenges. Songs are used to even just simply to praise God for how wonderful he is and for all the wonderful things that he has done and even the things that he will do. And so this leads us, when we see the songs of the Bible, we see songs even like this, we have to ask ourselves, what songs are we singing? Have we forgotten how to, to sing? Do we know how to sing? Well, here we have another deliverance in Judges chapter 4, and a song by Deborah and Barak, although it seems that uh, Deborah was the one who was singing it. And this song shows us uh, two key principles for singing a song to God. That we need to know that victory comes ultimately from God. That he is the cause of victory. And that he provides the means of victory, although they're not the means that we always think are, are the ones that we need. And then finally, we're going to consider what this song teaches us about how we sing as Christians, as the people of God on this side of the cross. And so first, as we think about what it means to sing, we need to know that what needs to inform our singing is to know that victory is from the Lord. Victory is from the Lord, that the Lord is the cause of victory. And so let's recall uh, very briefly the and I think it's interesting and, and educational for us to think through the events of chapter 4 and how those are interpreted into song in chapter 5. And so in chapter 4, we have the story uh, that opens up with Jabin, the, essentially the head regional power. Even He's called the king of Canaan, even though there was no official king. But he's basically the king of Canaan. And, uh, and he is oppressing the Israelites. Uh, this was brought about, we're told, as discipline from God for the idolatry of the people as they had abandoned the Lord for other gods. In time, the people cried out to God, and he raised up Barak. Uh, Barak, for his part, refused to go unless Deborah went with him, and she agreed, but warned him that the glory of the victory would not be his, but it would go to a woman. And Barak went, uh, raised up a military force to fight against Sisera, and, uh, and, uh, and Sisera's was Jabin's uh, top general. 
And they, uh, the Israelites gathered on a hill and eventually went down, charging down the hill to go fight Sisera in the plain. Now, this was very dangerous because Sisera uh, was known for having iron chariots that were essentially kind of ancient tanks uh, on a, on a, that work really well on a nice flat plain. But somehow, Barak overpowered Sisera's forces and the general fled for his life. Sisera went and he sought refuge in the tent of Heber the Kenite, who had moved there. The Kenites were down in kind of the, uh, the area of Judah, uh, um, the southern part of Judah. Um, but, the, but Heber the Kenite, we were told in chapter 4, had relocated to northern Israel about that uh, earlier and was on good terms with Jabin. And so uh, Sisera went and fled to Heber's tent looking for some shelter. And Heber's uh, wife, uh, Jael, though, she had other plans. So she lulled Sisera to sleep. He was already exhausted from running for his life, and she gave him some milk and, and uh, let him take a nap. And while he was asleep, uh, she killed him by driving a tent peg through his head. Uh, finally, uh, we are told that uh, Jabin, the king of Canaan himself, was defeated, and Israel uh, could now rest from their oppression. Uh, and, and finally, uh, and, so, and so we have this song, all right? We have this song. It's a celebratory interpretation of the event that I just summarized for us in, in chapter 4. It's, it's not unlike the We Are the Champion song, right, type of deal. It's kind of that's what they're doing. No time for losers because we're the champions, right? That's what they're doing. They're, they're, they're interpreting this event, and this is the victory song that they're singing about what happened. And Deborah and Barak uh, sang this, uh, this song, which spends the first five verses making it clear that throughout all these details we just went through, that the Lord was behind it all. That the Lord was the cause of the victory in Israel. In verse 2, they sing about how the leaders of the people in Israel willingly offered themselves, putting their lives on the line uh, which is a praise to the God who called them into action while also bestowing honor upon those who responded to the call. But the theme in verses 4 and 5 is very, very clear. The Lord is a warrior who fights for his people. It was he who rose up and came to deliver his people. When the Lord moves, the earth trembles. The heavens drop their waters upon the earth. Now, I want you to hold that idea of earthquakes and torrential rains in your head for a moment, because we'll come back to it. Uh, but the point of this section is simply that Yahweh, the Lord, is the one who causes the victory for his people. It wasn't outside circumstances, things that God didn't uh, plan on, that he's like, oh, that worked out, how fortunate. God was behind it. From, uh, from the victory on, on the plain to the, and, and the movement of Heber the Kenite up north that would be the end of Sisera the general. God planned it all, and he made it happen. And, and so he uses then in his deliverance miracles and ordinary means like natural events and men or in women uh, and to do it. But ultimately, all of it is traced back to him, and he receives the glory. 
It's because God is the cause of victory, and so this also means that he provides the means for victory. He provides the leaders, we're told. Uh, now, for his own faults, uh, Barak was a, a capable military leader. Um, Deborah was certainly wise. She demonstrated this in her judgments that she rendered uh, to Israel, and, uh, uh, and she refers uh, to herself even as a, as a mother of, uh, of Israel. Uh, caring for her people. God also provided people, fighting men, uh, but uh, certainly not as many as Barak would have liked or what could have been at his disposal. Um, uh, Deborah and Barak uh, highlight the tribes here in this song who, who showed up and those who stayed back. Um, so you have uh, Ephraim and Benjamin and Zebulun and Issachar and Naphtali and uh, Machir is a reference to uh, the uh, half the tribe of Manasseh that's on this side of the Jordan. Uh, these are all cited as those uh, standing up and who provided uh, men and warriors to fight. Now three other tribes at least, three to four of the tribes are, are called out for not providing uh, anyone. Reuben is portrayed as being indecisive, as just kind of doing some uh, uh, navel gazing and not being able to uh, get up and to take action. Dan and Asher are portrayed as tribes hiding on the coast. Uh, Gilead was not a tribe. They were a people, um, but uh, they were also uh, connected to the Transjordan tribes, which are the ones across the Jordan River. Remember, there was the three tribes across the Jordan River that didn't enter into the promised land. You have Reuben, Gad, and half the tribe of Manasseh. And so this is a so uh, Gilead was found is associated with the tribe of Reuben, so uh, and uh, and so these are specifically shamed for not coming to the aid of their of their brothers to fight. But also according to the song in verse eight, Israel essentially had no shields or spears to fight. That means they're fighting with homemade weapons or farming equipment. They went poorly armed against iron chariots on the plain. This was simply not done unless you want to get slaughtered. Not done unless God calls you to do it. For where Israel was lacking, God provided. This is where the rain and the earthquakes come in. Because God provided rain. We are told that there were earthquakes and torrential downpours in verses 4 and 5. We might be tempted to simply see this as metaphorical language regarding God but, uh, uh, and what he did. But we are told in verses 20 to 21 that the waters of Kishon swept away the enemy. And, and the Kishon was a very small river that wouldn't have swept away anybody. All right, uh, But apparently the torrential rains caused the Kishon, to flood and to flood the plains. Well, why does that matter? Well, as powerful as iron chariots are on a nice flat plain, guess what chariots don't like? Mud. And if your central, uh, if your central plan revolves around chariots and a torrential downpour, then a, a muddy mess is pretty much going to do you in. All right? And so, uh, and so was, I was just talking with somebody who was they're riding along with somebody in a, in a, in, a, in a semi, and uh, and they were um, uh, and, and they're driving and they were had to and they ended up going through like kind of almost off roading in this thing, but they didn't realize the ground was wet, and so and everything was fine. Uh, they were kept they had enough momentum to propel them forward, 
uh, until they um, until they stopped to figure out what direction they needed to go, and then the tires sank, <laughs> and then it was a lot of money to the wrecker to pull them out. But uh, and so and so God in His providence, uh, well before uh, He provides He provides rain to flood the valley. And then even before that, he made preparations, as I mentioned earlier, by sending up Heber the Kenite and his wife, Jael. You know, Jael was, Jael was not on some long-term assassination mission, right? She and Heber didn't know what was going to be happening when they moved up north. They just, for whatever reason, thought that would be a good move for them. And yet, and yet God had a greater idea, a greater picture uh, in mind. Now, we do want to note that if, you know, if, we, if we're taking if 40,000 men is the fighting force that uh, Barak went into war with. In ancient terms, that was a sizable force. That is a significant amount of men. Uh, but having 40,000 men who are poorly armed fighting against chariots in the plain is basically, again, a recipe for slaughter. But not only does God call, he also provides. And so now, um, as we think about this, I mean, Presbyterians are typically really big on planning, right? We like committees. We like thorough committee work. Uh, our temptation is just to, well, let's table this and think about this some more. Let's really plan this out some more, right? And, uh, but the thing is, you can't plan for everything. When the founders of RTS and Jackson decided that they were going to start a seminary because there were no, uh, there were no um, orthodox presbyteries uh, to be found in our own denomination at the time, at the PCUS at the time, um, you know, they, they said, look, we're starting this. They didn't, they said, look, we don't know what we're doing. You had a businessman and like a farmer. <laughs> it was just like these guys weren't, uh, you know, we have a, we have a five-year plan and we have all this stuff. But what did they have? They had the word of God, they had prayer, and they had a calling. They knew this needed to be done. And, and since then, as they noted, as even today, while many seminaries are shrinking and selling off assets, uh, 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 RTS is actually growing, expanding. They bought new property in Jackson. They're actually leaving the old historic campus and moving to a new campus uh, and, uh, with, uh, um, with new buildings and new facilities. Uh, and so they're continuing to grow and expand. And, and so God calls and he provides. And so we, need to, we do need to ask ourselves, what is it that, you know, God doesn't just provide for anything we want to do. We have to ask ourselves, what is it that God has called us to do? What is he, where has he called us to act? And then to go forward and trust that God will provide, even if we can't see exactly where the, the, the bricks are going to lie out <laughs> in, in, in the path in front of us. And so, and so we need to know that victory is, is from God, from the Lord. But then also in our songs, we need to declare that victory is for the Lord. It is for the Lord, for his glory and honor. And that, and that is we need to take the things that God has done for his people and we need to transform them and move them into song to sing praises to him for his glorious redemption, for his great deliverances that he has brought upon us. And so in this song, we can, you can see the elements of, of the need for redemption why they need God to act. Back in verse 6, uh, they talk about in the days of Jael, it was dangerous times. Nobody wanted to go on the highways because you were going to get uh, attacked, robbed, or killed. 
You, you, you took the long way around. You went to the byways because that gave you your best chance of survival. She said villagers ceased until she arose to help and to bring uh, the judgments of God and to, to carry out, to be able to resolve disputes and, and such uh, through the villagers uh, in, in the villages. But there were still great problems in verse 8. She talks about how uh, when Israel chose for themselves new gods, there was war in the gates. They had rejected the Lord. And what uh, came about was military oppression as they chose for themselves new gods. And so despite all of this, uh, God used an, an, an oddly led, poorly equipped group of men to deliver Israel from her oppressors. As, she, as the song says, they marched against the mighty and they won. The enemy commanders and rulers gathered no spoil, for even creation itself, it says, fought against them. The stars were, <laughs> were working against Sisera and Jabin. And, uh, and at the end, you get to that, that mocking of, of, of Sisera's mother <laughs> at the end, where she's like, well, why is he tarry so long? And, and the princesses, and even she is telling herself, Oh, it's because what's taking so long is because the, the carts are so heavy laden with spoil. It's slowing them down. Uh, it's it, the fact that they just they've collected a, 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 a woman or two uh, for for every man and, and dyed fabric and expensive stuff to I'm going to getting fancy new clothes, you know, just kind of that type of thing. And just and this false hope that she's assuring herself with. And then the song says, you know, may it may so your enemies be. May they delude themselves with false hope, and may they be brought down, uh, those who, uh, who, who oppose the Lord and his people. And so the people sing praises back to God, declaring his worthiness and the wonder of his power. At the beginning of the song, in verse 3, it is clear that, it, that Deborah is not singing to kings and princes, but rather they are witnesses to the song that she is singing the Lord. And so this raises a question for us. Do we sing like this? Do we take the time to sing? Our lives are so busy, so frantic, and, and, so, and, and it is so often the case that even when we receive a, a wonderful blessing from God, even a, a deliverance uh, from him of a sort, uh, we experience a large victory. We often, we're so busy, we have so much stuff in front of us that we just move on to the next thing with, uh, with, uh, with barely a nod to the Lord. And it's not so much trying to guilt uh, that, but rather saying it's actually good to stop and to, and to sing the doxology, to stop and to give praise to God for his goodness. And, then, and so this, mo this song and what they do in response to this deliverance ought to move us to contemplate the place of singing in our lives as the people of God. Uh, not just the, the songs that we're familiar with on Sunday, certainly those, those but you know, why do we sing these songs together on Sunday? And, and why do we sing them in times of personal devotion and family worship, or should we? Now, a, a song of praise uh, like this ought to ultimately move us to contemplate the Lord in our salvation, and the salvation that God has wrought in us and his people today. 
The fact is that we do sing as the people of God. We've done so today. We will sing another song as we conclude our service tonight. Uh, and so, and at the heart of our worship today is certainly God's saving power in the cross of Jesus Christ. You know, you talk about a people who are under-equipped. Well, Jesus looked at the crowds. He saw they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd, and he had compassion on them. We were those who were lost in darkness, oppressed by sin, hounded and haunted by suffering and death. And then comes Jesus, the Son of God, who comes to deliver us through the power of God, even, in the, even though he is in the weakness of human flesh. He was despised and rejected, murdered and crucified, but he was resurrected, ascended, and he rules from heaven. And as our Redeemer, he brings light into the darkness, sight to the blind, light, life to the dead, strength to the weak, comfort to the afflicted, and healing to the wounded. His power justifies us, pardons us, and for those and for those who are in Christ's name, who have trusted him by mere faith and not of their own works, death and sin have no longer any lasting power, only a momentary sting. And all of this has and ought to continue to fuel, to fuel us as we sing a new song to Christ. There's a, there's a contingent in the Reformed Church that argues strenuously adamantly that we should only ever sing the psalms and they say because the psalms are the only inspired worship songs by god further they add that the book of psalms was the primary hymnal of the people of god for thousands of years until just a few hundred years ago uh, when uh, when hymns became popular and i actually agree that we ought to sing the psalms and that, and that we ought to sing lots more psalms than we do. However, I don't agree that we should only sing the psalms. Uh, and, uh, it's, in fact, uh, uh, passages in the New Testament letters, such as in Colossians uh, chapter 1, Philippians chapter 2, 1 Timothy chapter 3, uh, these are passages that are actually considered uh, to be, believed to be, early Christian hymns sung in the Christian church that Paul is quoting. Now, I'm condensing my argument for, for, an, for a psalmody and a hymnody that gets combined together. Um, but to put it simply, Christ has won a great deliverance for us, and we are right to sing a new song about what he has done. It is a good thing to sing songs about Jesus Christ. Sing the psalms, but also we can sing new songs about Jesus if a, if, a, if a new uh, song was written for a momentary, uh, you know, victory like this, uh, you know, it, one that's, you know, think about the song that we just went through. That song was, you know, was to be sung, and it would last no more than a generation, right? It was a song about something that God did that benefited for people, and it tells you, and they had rest for 40 years. The deliverance that God brought to the judges in this particular moment was momentary, was temporary. How much more, if they write a song for that, 
how much more ought we to write and sing new songs unto the Lord for the deliverance that he has won for us in Christ, which will endure not for 40 years, not for 400 years or 4,000 years, but for eternity. And so if we sing week in and week out, and, there's, and it's just an empty, rote recitation of words, it's just there's no life in our voice, we're just singing the words because we know the words to sing, and we've been singing them for a long time, we just sing them. Well, then let us contemplate what the Lord has done for us. You know, I, I firmly do believe that you cannot guilt and shame people into heartfelt worship. You know, love God, you heathens. You know, like just kind of like, you know, just beating people until they love Jesus. It's not, I haven't found that to be an effective strategy. Rather, let us be convicted to slow down our lives enough to consider the amazing victory that the Lord has won for us in Jesus Christ. Take time to read and consider Ephesians 1 about God's plan to redeem us from before the foundations of the world. Take time to read Ephesians chapter 2 about how we were essentially dead in our sins and trespasses, but God in his great mercy made us alive in Jesus Christ and that he has planned good works for you and I to do. Read and pray until your heart begins to sing. And when it does, open your mouth and share your praise. And there will be times when we are laden with worries, griefs, and sorrows, and we will not feel like we can open our mouths. And that may last for a while. But even then, if you can't sing today, continue to come and to worship, even if you sit in silence and hear your brothers and sisters sing. There's some times where I, I, sometimes, you know, I, I've <laughs> one of my voice is really weak and I just and so I'll, I'll skip the singing because I'm trying to save it for pre preaching. And it is such a privilege to stop and hear the, the, the people of God singing praises and what a moving uh, testimony it is and encouragement. So if you can't sing, whether because you have no voice or you emotionally have no voice, you can't do it, then don't sing and listen to others sing around you until you find your voice again. Above all, let us know that our victory is from God, that our victory is for God and his glory, and that because of the victory we have in Christ, we will praise him forever. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that we do have that victory in Jesus. That victory that fuels new songs to be written in every generation. We thank you, Lord, for the Psalms, for indeed it is the perfect, inspired word of God. And we are grateful for the privilege of singing the Psalms. And we are grateful, Lord, for your Son who has come to fulfill your words and to fulfill the promises that we find, even specifically in the Messianic Psalms. But every good promise that is there is ours in Jesus Christ. For all your promises are yes in Jesus. And so, Lord, we pray that we would contemplate the wonder and power and goodness of your love for us in Jesus. And that wherever we are at tonight, we would be moved to sing songs of praise. We pray that this would take carry us through all of our lives until we are brought finally into your presence and even into the new heavens and the new earth where we will continue to sing your praises forever. We pray this in Jesus' name. 
Amen.